0: Good morning, good morning. We can start making our way to our seats. Great to see you this morning. Welcome to Gateway Baptist Church. Great to see everyone. Also want to welcome everyone in the gym and those watching us online. We're so happy you're able to be with us this morning. Just got a few announcements. Going to work through these as quickly as we can. Ooh, I've got some music going. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. Um, All right. First up, youth, teenagers, teenage families. We mentioned it last week. This weekend, D-Now is happening at Eastmont Baptist Church. Um, I've been out of town, and I was just able to get all the times uh, this past week, so I will get those out in an email first thing tomorrow. Uh, but it's Friday night, Saturday morning, and then Saturday evening, three sessions at First Baptist with worship and great teaching. And then we're going to spend some time with the teenagers back here at the church Saturday afternoon with small groups, some uh, rec time, and some fun eating. So Youth D-Now this weekend coming up couple prayer opportunities. We mentioned this many times, but just we want you to continue to be aware every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. over in room one. uh, There was a wonderful group this morning. We pray for our church. We pray for our community, things happening in the river region. Uh, We would love for you to be a part 8 a.m. every Sunday morning over in room one. And starting again next Sunday evening at 4 p.m. on the second and fourth Sunday of each month, there'll be a prayer time here in the sanctuary at 4 o'clock on Sunday afternoons, the second and fourth Sunday of each month. And next week, we kick it off again. Uh, for the men, there's going to be an outdoor adventure. Again, these guys love hiking. Whew. These <laughs> love the hiking, the trails, and camping. So another great opportunity for all the men, Saturday, February 27th. It's a day hike on the Cherokee Ridge Alpine Trail at Lake Martin. Y'all, our pastor... I got to say, he loves these things. You know, they went to the fire tower last week, some guys. And he comes back in on Monday. There he is. Monday mornings, he's like this. You know, a lot of times just working. Now, he's in better shape than I am. But this man can rock it out on the trails. He loves to climb and hike. So Saturday the 27th, day hike, Cherokee Rideshow. All the details are on the blog. So take a peek on there. Very excited about next week. Many of you know our dear friend and brother, Dwayne Rembert. He's spoken here many times. Um, They have the church out in West Montgomery in Chisholm area called Flatline Church. He's going to be able to minister to us next week. He's going to be here preaching next Sunday. Um, So if you want to invite some friends, we just love his heart, his ministry. He'll be bringing us the word uh, next Sunday, Dwayne Rembert from Flatline. And lastly, we get to partake this morning and enjoy a time of communion. Um, And so for those that are sitting, you can look in front of you. You'll see the little elements there in your cup. Uh, there's some in the back there, some here. And for those in the gym, uh, they'll be behind you uh, on the table near your chairs. And we also have some gluten-free wafers for those that need that. So we're very um, excited to be able to share that together. If you would please stand. We're going to open our time of worship through the word to declare some things over us before we get into worship through song. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. And God said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong.
1: Great is your faithfulness, O God. You wrestle with the sinner's heart. You lead us by still waters into mercy. If nothing can keep us apart. So remember your people, remember your children, remember your promise of God, your grace. your love and justice God you use the weak to lead the strong you lead us in the song of your salvation and all your people sing along so remember your people, remember your children, remember your promise, of God, your prayer. Remember your promise, oh God Send it up, your grace Your grace is enough 现在
2: Verse three again. Lifted up was he to die. the verse four.
1: Lifted up was he to die. His was his cry. Now. Jesus, thank you, the Father's right, completely satisfied, Jesus, thank you, I in your enemy, now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you.
0: just take a moment, reflect on what we just sang and those amazing words. And just between you and the Lord, just spend a moment in a heart of gratitude and thanks for what we just declared. Lord, there's almost no words of how I feel every time I sing this song. How amazing it is to declare that once we were your enemies and now we're seated at your table as your heirs, as your sons and daughters. We don't have enough time in the day to express how amazing that is or how grateful we are that you love us and forgave us, that you are merciful and kind and gracious. bear the wrath of the Father for us when each and every one of us in this room deserved hell. But by your mercy, we are here, seated as heirs to the kingdom, seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning with you. That's just unbelievable. But it's what you've done for us, for your glory, for your name and your renown we can declare your praises and that Jesus is Lord so God we just again thank you for this moment that we can come and, and worship our King God of the universe and to come confidently each week knowing we have nothing to offer in it of ourselves just to receive your mercy but to say we love you we praise you we yield ourselves to you only by your grace and your power And we come each week with prayers, petitions to bring before God who is good and faithful and just. And we know you hear our prayers, Lord. And you're the source of life. There is no other answer but you. There's no one to come to but you to lay things at your feet and say, be God in these situations. So we thank you so much for just our Gateway family. We thank you for our teenagers. We thank you, Lord, as you ask that you prepare their hearts for this next weekend that you would draw them to yourself, that you would prepare them, Lord, even this week with their families to hear from you, to receive from you, to maybe have some tough questions answered, that you would convict them and just continue, God, to draw them closer to yourself, especially next weekend as they prepare for this wonderful weekend of fellowship and worship and to be together in community, and we just thank you for them. Lord, we just lift up our Gateway family, many who are still ill and recovering from different... Sicknesses, obviously some from COVID and other things going on. God, we just pray your healing power and your touch upon each of them. God, I know many in our body are mentally and physically exhausted during this season with uh, virtual learning from home, many parents having to adjust schedules and so much going on with families and loss. God, we do. We just pray that your comfort, your peace, your strength, all that you are, God, would flow into these homes, into these families, touch the lives that need it, God. And we just trust you with that to raise these people up. Lord, we thank you so much for the partnership we have with New Life in Christ, the Hispanic church that meets here after us for almost 10 years now. We love them so much. We thank you for them bringing here to partner with them. God, we continue to lift up their leadership team as they're continuing to seek to find a new pastor. We pray, God, and as we know your word says, you are going to order their steps. We know you have already chosen the shepherd that you desire for them to have, but we pray that you give them eyes to see and ears to hear who that man is and that you would guide and direct their steps accordingly. Lord, we thank you that we can lift up other churches, our extended family here in Montgomery. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for Pastor Paul Gordine, an engaged Christian church over on uh, McGee Road. We thank you, Lord, for their ministry, for his heart, serving that community. We thank you, God, that they have a ministry to the homeless by providing food and care. We pray you continue to guide and direct Pastor Paul's steps and and, uh, preaching and just drawing people to that church to hear your word and to minister to those in their community here in Montgomery. And again, God, we thank you that we have the nations, not just to pray for across the world, but here in our own city. And so we lift up the nation of the Mistek people and the Mistek church uh, that's across town, and Pastor John Halbrooks and Lisa Rose, who are still faithfully uh, ministering to them with small groups and tutoring and Bible studies, one-on-one meetings. Uh, God, we pray you can take you to protect that church uh, from COVID. I know many have been sick off and on. But we pray, God, in Jesus' name that you continue to bring your light into that dark people group that practice many things, some witchcraft and other stuff, that you would shed your light and bring your gospel to those families that they may in turn minister to their families um, in their community. And, Lord, we do thank you for the privilege of being able to pray for people groups all over the world. And this morning, God, we lift up the new people of Columbia. Specifically, God, we thank you for the IMB missionaries, John and Lee that are there serving. And Lord, during this COVID time, it has been very difficult for them to share the gospel and to get into certain parts of the community. But God, we just ask for you to provide safe opportunities for John and Lee to be able to get in there and share their faith. Um, Also, they're working through a time of projects for language and literacy. And they're trying to get uh, many of the resources translated, uh, the Bible stories, into an auditory form so that the new people can actually hear the gospel and hear the story of the Bible in their own language. And we pray, God, you bring resources, provision, whatever is needed, God, to make that happen for the new people. And, God, we thank you for your provision. You're a good God. You have blessed us immensely. We thank you for the offering this morning. Those that have given online or here today, we ask you to bless it. God, give us good uh, hearts and minds and wisdom for our leadership to be good stewards of what you have given to us, Lord. And we're so thankful uh, just for blessing us as you do. And lastly, Lord, thank you so much for Grady. Thank you for our shepherd, his heart to love us, care for us, uh, to teach us, to study your your word faithfully. And we just pray, God, that you fill him afresh with your spirit this morning. Give him energy and vigor and just uh, that he would hear your word this morning, that he would communicate clearly. And uh, Lord, we just ask you to bless this word that's coming forward to encourage us, to convict us, to challenge us um, as we come to a close uh, here with the book of James. We thank you for all that you've done through this series and uh, working in our lives and sharing your heart with us. We love you and praise you. Continue to move, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name.
3: We have made it to the end of our journey through James. Forty-five weeks later, we have made it through these five chapters, and we've explored in mind the depths of what it means to walk in faith. Friends, I am so grateful that God and His providence, a fall a year ago, as we were planning out what we are going to do this year, led us to this book. This book is so timely for us, and who would have thought when we began this study January a year ago, what we would have walked through? As a community in Montgomery with COVID, but we as a church would have walked through this year with some of the challenges we faced. And God has promised me exactly what I needed and what we needed as a church family for these challenging days we've been in. I'm so grateful that God has led us to this particular book. Because we think back to all we've seen over these five chapters. The theme of the book, you see it on the screen every week, was simply walking in faith. The whole theme of James is how, have we, how do we live out what we say we believe. We say we're followers of Christ. Now, What does that practically look like in our daily lives? Now, if you think back over these last 45 weeks, James has given us a really, really high standard of what walking in faith has looked like. I don't like lists, friends, but I do want to remind us of a few of the things we've seen over these five chapters to remind us of how high the bar has been raised for us as followers of Christ, of what it looks like to live out our faith. If you think all the way back to chapter 1, James has told us that walking in faith means that we find, by God's grace, peace and joy in trials. Then the hardships we can still find peace and joy. We see in James that walking in faith means we ask God for wisdom. Whatever we face in life, that we can ask God for wisdom. We see that walking in faith, living out our faith, means that we get rid of sinful anger from our lives, that we avoid hasty speech and become good listeners, that we read the Word, but don't just stop at reading the Word. We seek to obey the Word of God, that we put out of our lives favoritism and love for the things of the world, that we put into our lives a genuine compassion and concern for other people. But walking in faith means we seek to guard our speech, that we seek to pursue holiness, that we seek humility in our lives. It means that we rid our lives of selfishness, that we pursue the good of others over our own good, that we strive for peace in our relationships. It means that we remember the absolute sovereignty of God in all of our decision-making, that we are show patience to one another, that we are truthful in all of our speech, that we pray in every circumstance, and that we confess our sins to one another Friends, that's just a few glimpses of many of the things we've seen over this last year. Friends, if we look at that and we think about what walking in faith looks like, the reality is I fall short of doing that, and you do too. The reality is that every single one of us, there is a gap in our lives between between what walking in faith should look like and what we actually do. There's a gap there for all of us, and that gap is called sin. It's missing the mark. It's missing the standard God has given to us. And friends, we all have a gap. We've seen that throughout this letter in James, that we all struggle with sin, we all have that gap, and it may be different things in a different one of our lives, but we all have a gap, we all have sin. And I've said it before, when we see a gap, when we realize our sin, two things can happen, and both are equally dangerous. One, we can despair. We can see that gap, and we can think, oh, woe is me, I'll never change, I'll never get rid of that anger from my left, or I never can really show patience to that person. And we, whatever it is, we begin to despair and think, why bother? But the other thing that's just as equally dangerous is is we just try hard on our own strength. I've kind of jokingly called it throughout James, that white-knuckle determination. That We just try hard. I'm just going to kind of grit my teeth and hang on. I'm going to try harder to be holy. But that doesn't work. And if we've tried that, we realize we fall flat on our face, and that gap never shrinks. See, James writes all these hard things to us, not for us to despair. That's not James's goal in this book, is for us to get to the end and go, "'Woe is me. I'm an awful person. Oh, well.'" His goal in this is not for us to try hard, not to be like, I'm going to make new resolutions this year, and I'm going to do better because I read this. That's not what James wants us to do. James has been showing us this gap in our lives so that we run to Jesus, so that we run to find grace to change. We'll take us back, before we jump into today's text, to James chapter 4, verse 6. It was the key verse of the entire book, and you know this well, but I want us to read it out loud together because this summarizes the book. Can you say it with me? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says... God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Friends, that is James in a quick summary for us. He's shown us this high standard of walking in faith to expose that gap in our lives, not so we despair, not so we try harder, but so we run to Jesus because God wants to give us grace. Not just grace to save us, but grace to change us, grace to grow us, grace to make us more like Christ. So the kind of ongoing question throughout James is how do we experience that grace? God delights in giving grace to change us, that transforming grace to sanctify us and to grow us. How do we experience it? Well, grace by nature is unmerited. God just gives it. But there's certain paths we've seen where God delights in giving, where we can put ourselves in the path of grace. We've seen that in in the Word of God. When we read the Word of God, when we meditate on the Word of God, when we memorize the Word of God, that's a path of grace where we experience God transforming us. Prayer is another one we've seen. That's what we've been looking at the last about four weeks as we've come to the end of James, that prayer is a pathway of grace. That as we pray, as we seek God, as we ask for wisdom, as we confess our sins, as we ask for help, God delights in answering those prayers. But there's another major pathway of grace where God loves to transform us and God loves to change us. And that's what James comes to in his very last two sentences here. And that's how God gives his grace through one another. How God transforms us, grows us, sanctifies us through our Christian Community. So as we read our last two verses of James, we're going to look for how the the idea of community is a pathway of grace to experience God's transforming work in our lives. So I'm going to ask you to stand, please, as we read the conclusion of James today. James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. I'm reading out the English Standard Version. We'll have the words for you on the screen. Verse 19 of chapter 5. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back... Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. God, your word is powerful. It is living, it is active, it is sharper than two-edged sword. Your word is so powerful. And God, I pray today we'd experience your grace changing us through your word. Now, Holy Spirit, you would fill each one of us. You'd open our eyes to the truth of your word. You would encourage us where we need encouraging. You would give us conviction. We need conviction and you would use your word this morning to sanctify us and transform each one of us We ask in jesus name. Amen. Thank you and you can be Seated Here's what I want you to see from james's conclusion is simply this friends. We have a responsibility to help each other Walk in faith. We have a responsibility to help each other walk in faith Now for a lot of people james's conclusion here is very frustrating we used to Paul's letters, right? He has these beautiful benedictions and may the grace of God be with you always and these beautiful flowing thoughts. James doesn't end that way. He ends with basically another command here. This is what your life should be like. But it's so fitting here because James ends not with a focus just on what you need and what I need. He's focusing on community. He's focusing on us together and our responsibility to one another to help each other do everything that he has said throughout this letter. He's giving us basically a command that's a two-way street. Because I need help and you need help, so I need you to help me and I need to help you. He's showing us that we have a responsibility to one another in the body of Christ to help each other live out everything that he's been showing us in these five chapters. Now, of all the things James can say, I find it so interesting, He he concludes with the church. He concludes with community here. And realize here he's addressing believers in the church. Notice how he begins his final words here, my brother's. Seen this before? This includes both men and women. It's used in a general sense here, but it's his favorite term of affection for believers. James is writing to people he loves, and he's addressing them one last time as brothers and sisters, people who he loves here. And he's giving them, a, he's reminding them about a situation that they will face in life, that I face in life, and that you face in life. Is that when we see another believer, another church member, another Christian friend, where something is going wrong in their life? He says here, my brothers, if anyone among you among you, among your church family, again, among your Christian friends, among people you know who profess to be followers of Christ with you. He's saying you're going to, as you walk this journey of faith, see in someone else's life something is wrong in their life. And what is it that's wrong? Well, he tells us in the very next phrase, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. Now, he's giving us a serious thing we need to keep our eyes open to. We all have a propensity to wander. We all have a propensity to wander from what God has said now, to understand the seriousness of this, we need to kind of go a little bit deeper on this word wander here. This word wander in the Greek is actually the word planato. It's where we get the English word planet from. If anyone planets among you, you know, what in the world is he talking about here? Think about it, it, the night sky. The stars are fixed. Ship captains can plot their course based on stars. No ship captain plots his course based on the planets. Because the planets move in the night sky, they're at different places, and so it looks like the planets slowly wander through the sky. And so he's telling us that there is a propensity that we have to wander, to like a planet. We may be here one day, but the next day we're here, and we can be in different places in this. So what does it mean that we're wandering like a planet in the night sky? Well, the rest of Scripture makes it clear for us what he's talking about here. Matthew chapter eighteen verse 12 gives this exact same word it just gets translated differently Jesus is talking about the shepherd who sees a lost sheep he says what do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them now it says if one of them has gone astray so our English doesn't quite do justice it's the same word planao the same word for wander if one of the sheep has wandered one of them has gone astray does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that planao that wandered that went away so if we wander that means we've gone away from the shepherd and we've gone away from the other sheep we're kind of setting our own path. And if you think about a sheep isolated from the shepherd and isolated the flock, that sheep is in grave danger. The sheep may be very happy grazing in the grass and enjoying the cold breeze. The sheep is in grave danger. That's what this word is helping us see. We see the same word in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25, it says, You were straying. Now, the same word translated wander here. You're You're wandering like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer. Of your soul. So to wander is not just to go astray, it's to go against what the shepherd has said to do. It's to go in the exact opposite direction of what the shepherd has called you to do. So to wander is another way to say that we have strayed, we have disobeyed, we have sinned. And what is the standard that we're supposed to be following? Well, James shows us here. Go back to verse 19 of chapter 5. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from... What's next? We wander from what? From the truth. From the truth, that we're wandering from God's standard. We're going away from what God has said, from what Scripture reveals. Therefore, friends, wandering is sin. So the picture James is painting for us here is we as a follower of Christ who's seeking God's grace to walk in faith sees another follower of Christ who is now going astray, who is now not living according to what the Word of God clearly says. Now to understand what's happening here, again, we need to go back to that word wander. Because in the Greek, this word wander is passive, that means there's something kind of pulling on it here, just as a planet is moving because there's gravity from a sun pulling on it here. There's something that is luring this believer away. There's something that's leading this believer to be deceived, which is exactly how Jesus uses the same word in Matthew 24. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 4, Jesus says to them, "See to it that no one again here it is leads you astray." Same word, planatus. That no one leads you to wander. The idea of being pulled or lured away from the flock and away from the shepherd. Now, we've seen this all throughout James, that there's many things seeking to pull us away from walking in faith. We've talked often about the pull of the world, that there's around us a worldview of non-believers who want us to conform to the world, and so we're tempted, we're pulled towards the world. We've also talked about the pull of Satan himself, that there's a real spiritual being who hates God and hates the church and hates God's people, and so he tempts us. He's studied human nature for thousands of years, and he knows how to tempt us, to get us, to, to try to lure us, to entice us away from walking in faith. we've seen over and over in James as dangerous as those are that's not our greatest threat that's not the greatest pull that's not the greatest thing that's luring us away and the greatest threat is my own heart and your own heart our sin nature that we battle we remember James chapter 1 verse 14 if you think back to James 1 and this each person is tempted when he is lured there's idea of it's being done to us he's being lured and enticed by what by what his own desire, that the greatest threat to you and me, the greatest thing pulling at us to try to cause us to not walk in faith, yes, is the world, yes, is the same, but the greatest threat is my heart and your own heart. That means that it's easy for us as believers to be deceived by the appeal of sin. It's easy for us to hear our own hearts, fleshly desires, wanting what's out there. To hear what the world offers. To hear what Satan is tempting us with. And to choose to turn from the truth. To choose to turn from God's standard, and go down this dangerous path like a sheep who's far from the shepherd. And friends, this path is so very dangerous. James has already warned us that back in chapter 1. The very next verse that follows verse 14, it flows straight into this. The desire when it's conceived gives birth to sin. And sin when it's fully grown brings forth What? It brings forth death. So he's begun, James, warning us about the danger of sin. Now he's going to close with the same thing here. Go back to verse 20 in today's text here. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from what? From death. James is saying sin is not something to toy with. Sin is deadly. The lie of the enemy to me and to you so often is your sin is not that bad. This temptation really won't hurt you. It really won't hurt other people. It's not that big of a deal. That's really old-fashioned, whatever. Satan lies to us and tells us it's not that big of a deal. But James counters that at the very beginning and the end of his letter, saying sin will lead to death. Sin will destroy us. And so God, in his great love for us, tells us in his word that sin is destructive, that wandering for the shepherd has dangerous consequences. God then puts his Holy Spirit within us. So when we do start to wander, there's conviction from God, from the Holy Spirit within us saying, this is not the path. Go back to the shepherd. Don't wander off. Don't go do your own thing. Follow the truth that's been laid out for you. So ideally, as followers of Christ seeking to walk in faith. When we sin and we will sin, ideally, we sense convictions. We read the word as we pray as the Holy Spirit convicts us. So ideally, we'll do what we saw a few weeks ago. Go back to verse 16 in James 5. This is what should happen in our lives. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That ideally, as followers of Christ, when I realize I've got a sin issue, I should quickly, as I feel conviction, confess it to God and find another believer to help walk this journey with me so I can walk in faith. But yet that doesn't always happen, does it? Because of our pride. We think, I've got this. I can heal this. I can overcome this on my own. Our self-reliance or our fear of what people will think. Or perhaps we don't do this because our hearts are hardened. We've been hardened to the truth and we're kind of blinded to it. Perhaps we don't even realize this blind spot in our life or the sin that we have that we aren't even aware of. That means there will be times in our lives that we're struggling with sin and other believers will need to come help us. And that means that there will be times when we are walking in faith and we see other believers struggling with sin and we will need to help them as well. So what do we do, friends, if we see a fellow Christian who claims the name of Christ, struggling with sin, whether aware of it or not, what are we to do? But well, there's really kind of four options here, and only one of the four options is a good option, okay? One option when we see them struggling with sin is we can speak simply to them. You idiot, what are you thinking? And we can go to them and be like, you are a total absolute idiot. How could you mess up your life so bad? And that's not helpful, is it? So we can speak, a second option we can do is we can now gossip about them. We can speak simply to other people about them. Hey, did you hear what so-and-so did last week? Can you believe he says he's a Christian? Can you ever imagine he would do that? We're still sinning in that, but yet our human tendency is to do that, isn't it? Particularly, in the first option, if it's in our own family. If you see a family member struggling with sin, isn't our first option to kind of speak evilly to them? Or if it's a friend, isn't our option to speak sinfully and gossip about them to other people? So, the third option sometimes we take, and that's just we ignore their sin, Oh, that's not my burden to carry. If they won't help, they'll ask me about it. It's none of my business. I don't know what I say. I don't want to judge them, whatever. We, we make up lots of excuses so we never talk to them about it. All three of those options are wrong, friends. If we see a fellow Christian in sin, as the Bible defines sin, for us to speak sinfully to them is not helpful. It's sin on our part, then. For us to gossip about them and talk to others if we've not talked to them is a sin, and for us to ignore it is a sin as well, because God has a different standard. The option for us, the fourth thing, this, the fourth possibility, and what James calls to do is if we see a believer in sin, we are to seek to bring him or her back. We're to seek to bring him or her back. You can look back here at verse 19, at the path James tells us. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, literally if someone turns him around, turns him back, turns him back to what? To the truth that we have a commission from God, if we see a fellow Christian in sin, is to bring them back to the truth, to point them back, to turn them back to God's standard and God's ways in walking in faith. Friends, this is not optional for us. James tells us this is a normal path here. Paul commands as well. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. We've seen this several times in recent weeks, but I want to remind us of it. He says, brothers, If anyone is caught in any transgression, any sin, you who are spiritual, you who are walking with God right now, who are walking in faith and experiencing God's grace changing, if you are spiritual, should restore him. This idea of turning him back, should pursue that person and turn them back in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Friends, we have a command, we have a normal pattern in the Christian life that when we see sin in each other's lives, we should speak to one another about it. And why are we doing that? What are we hoping for? We'll look at the end result. Go down to verse 20 back in chapter 5. Let me know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wonder, whoever turns a sinner back, will save his soul from death and, notice, and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, time you see in scripture cover a multitude of sins, this is just a beautiful image for God's forgiveness. To cover sins mean God forgives it. Romans chapter 4 verse 7, you see these linked in this way. He's quoting here from Psalm 32, but it says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are what? Forgiven and whose are covered. Forgiveness, covering, same thing. To cover sins doesn't mean God brushes under the rug, oh, I like him, I'm not going to deal with it. To cover the sins means the blood of Christ has covered our sins. And when God sees us, he knows that all of our sin has been put on Christ and has already been paid for. To cover the sin means the penalty has been paid in full and forgiveness has been granted. So if you go back here to verse 20, what we're going to see happen in James 5, as we approach a fellow sinner struggling to walk in faith, we're trying to help them see that there's a multitude of sins are covered. What we're going to see happen is for them to acknowledge their sin, to confess their sin to the Lord, to repent of their sin, and to experience the mercy and grace of God forgiving them. Because mercy and grace is great. We've been singing about it this morning, friends. But notice this word in here. And we'll cover a multitude of sins. Friends, that God's grace is so great. It doesn't matter how many multitude of sins are in our friend's life or our life. If we are in Christ, God's grace is greater than all of our sins. And friends, we get to be the mouthpiece to a friend in the church or in our lives to point them back to the hope of forgiveness, to call them to run back and receive this multitude of grace that can cover all of their sins. So as we pursue people, Not because we're trying to feel superior, not because we've got it all figured out, but we pursue them because we love them and we want them to experience the covering of their sins, God's mercy and grace. And friends, we need to be honest that this is what we desire to do, this is what we are to do, but it doesn't always happen, even if we try to do it this way. There are people that we will seek to do this to who will never, ever repent. Some never repent, friends, because they really were not believers. 1 John chapter 2 gives us this sobering warning that even among the church, even among Christians, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. They're going to be people that by God's grace we seek to do this for because we love them and care about them, and they refuse to repent. And one reason they may not be repenting, because they may be doing the outwardness of Christianity, but not really know Christ. As we seek to do this, there are some people who are not going to repent when we ask them to. But just because the time has not come for you, it's going to take more discipline from the Lord that we're one step in God pursuing them. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11 reminds us of God's discipline. Because for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. As we pursue people who are struggling to walk in faith, we're not called to control the outcome, we're only called to faithfulness. To make the word of God known to them. And it may be that's the first step in their discipline that God pursues them. And it may take more time, more people, more discipline from the Lord for them to repent. And friends, that's hard. It's hard when you make yourself vulnerable and love someone enough to go speak the truth in your life and they say, no, I'm not interested. That's hard and it hurts. But friends, We need to remember that God doesn't call us to a life that's free of hurt and pain. God calls us to a life of faithfulness, not to an easy life. Therefore, the plan for us as brothers and sisters in Christ, even though it's out of our comfort zone and not easy, is to do verse 19 of chapter 5. If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, then we're to go pursue those to bring them back. We have a responsibility to do that. And that raises a big question for us, friends. How do we do this? How do we practically talk to a fellow Christian if we're concerned that they're wandering from the truth? Now, friends, there's not a formula here. If you're like me, I like a life that plugs into a formula. i want to have a spreadsheet where I can plug in these values and everything's going to come out with this perfect formula. This is about the messiness of broken relationships as we're sinners saved by grace walking this journey of faith together. So it's not a formula we can plug into. But there's eight principles that help me think through this, and I hope this will be helpful for you. Eight things that we can think about to help us pursue doing what is so hard to do here. Because, friends, if you're like me, verses 19 and 20, we've not had a lot of role models in this, have we? We've not seen a lot of churches go after people who are struggling with sin. One of the scholars I was reading this week said that this is one of the most neglected responsibilities of the church today. Because the American church has gotten so comfortable, which are going to be nice and welcome, welcome, welcome. And there's a place that, that we don't take seriously enough sin in each other's lives. So how do we live this out? How do we seek God's grace to address one another in this way? Is there are eight things I think will be helpful. Number one, make sure we're addressing a sin and not a preference. Make sure we're addressing a sin and not a promise. Friends, much harm has been done to relationships in the body of Christ when we try to get people to conform to our preferences or what we think is the wise path to go. We are called to hold up the standard of God's word, not our standard here. Go back to verse 19 again. Notice the standard we've already looked at. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from what you think is best for them. No, if anyone wanders from the truth, the clear, absolute revelation of God is seen in scripture, we need to be able to show people from scripture where we are concerned about their life, friends. And we can't show them from scripture. We probably need to keep quiet because it's our opinion. Make sure what we're addressing is sin, not preference. Number two, we need to remember God's mercy to us. We need to remember God's mercy to us because we're not going to brothers, sisters, one who's got it all figured out. We're not going to brothers, sister from a place of superiority. Going, I can't believe they're struggling with that sin. I'm going to go help them with that. We're going to them as one who has broken ourselves in desperate need of God's grace and mercy every day going because God has called us to do this, where we have to remember God's mercy, how great our sin is, and how great God's forgiveness is of us. So we go to them, first of all, making sure we're addressing sin. We go to them remembering God's mercy for our own sin. Number three, we need to talk to God before we go talk to the person. We need to talk to God before we talk to the person. This is a sacred task, friends. What God is giving us here through James, these last two verses, is not easy. This is a spiritual conversation. This is a sacred conversation, and we need to be prayed up doing this, friends. If we're wandering, it's because we're being deceived by our own hearts, by the enemy, by the world. And so we have a very real enemy who does not want us to live out, verses 19 and 20. Because Satan loves to keep people isolated in their sin, lost in their sin, trying in their own strength or despairing on their own. And when we, as the church family, come alongside someone and speak truth in their light and bring light into the situation, it weakens the enemy's grip over them. It's a spiritual battle. This is not something we do lightly. It's something that requires much, much prayer. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Verse 9, I love how Paul models this. If you think of all the strong things Paul says to the people in Corinth, he says, For we are glad when we are weak and you're strong. Notice there's this, your restoration is what we pray for. That even as Paul writes hard things to the people in Corinth, what he's longing for, what he's praying for, is for them to be restored. That has to be our heart attitude as well. We need to be prayed up a lot for this person before we talk to them. So, several principles so far. Before we ever speak to the person, make sure it's a sin, not a preference. Examine our own lives and remember God's mercy and pray to God for the person. If at that point, friends, we feel that this person really is struggling with sin and God is calling us to obey this and step out to help them, what do we do next? Number four, as we go to them, we need to ask questions to understand. We need to ask questions to understand. Friends, we are not all knowing. God is. We do not know all the circumstances. And so it's not going to probably go well if you try to live out verses 19 and 20 and go to someone and say, I can't believe what you're doing. I'm here to help you with that. That's probably not gonna be very beneficial because it's coming from a place of pride. We don't know what they're going through. So we go in listening, asking questions. James has already told us to do this. James chapter one, verse 19. In all of our conversations, this is what we're to be like. In James chapter 1, verse 19. I think we have it up there on the screen for you. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear. It's the hard one, right? Slow to speak, and slow to anger. Friends, isn't don't we reverse that so often in almost all of our conversations? We want to be the one who's quick to speak, and then if someone disappoints us, we're quick to anger. It's so rare it's the day for us to be quick to hear, to listen well, to ask questions, to really try to understand. So as we go to a brother or sister who's struggling to walk in faith, we ask questions. If, as we ask questions and realize that our concerns are legitimate and valid, what do we do next? Number five, we gently share our concerns in love and humility. We gently share our concerns in love and humility. Again, James has told us how to do that. James chapter 3, verse 17. He's given us a model of what our speech looks like here and in all circumstances. The wisdom from above. Isn't that what we're wanting in this situation? For us to be walking in faith and wisdom and then to be walking in faith and wisdom? The wisdom from above is first pure. no. notice this. Then peaceable. Then gentle. Then open to reason. Full of mercy and good fruits. Impartial and Sincere. Friends, what a high standard for that. But especially in this, friends, if we find a brother or sister struggling with sin and we go into them not gentle, not open to reason, not peaceable, not sincere, friends, we're operating from the flesh and they plan to turn around and rebuke us for our sin and how we're approaching. This is the normal pattern for Christian speech right here. So if there is an issue that needs to be addressed in church life, we do so gently with love and humility. And number six, then we reason from the scripture reason from the scripture. What we need is not my opinion or your opinion. We need to see from the word of God, friends, because the word of God is what is powerful, not my thoughts or your thoughts or my illustration or your illustration or my life story of change and your life story of change. What is the power is in the word of God and the spirit taking the word of God to bring conviction, to bring change in our lives. I love how 1 Corinthians 2 describes it when Paul talks about how he was trying to persuade people. In 1 Corinthians 2, he says, my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. Now, Paul's brilliant, but he's not relying on his wisdom and his argumentation, but he's doing so in a demonstration of Spirit and of power. And then in verse 5, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Because if we're going to help each other walk in faith, what we need is not some type of codependency where you're dependent upon my thoughts and I'm dependent on your thoughts. We need to be dependent on the Word of God and the absolute sufficiency of the Word of God to walk in faith. And so we point people back together to the Scriptures. So what are some principles to guide us in how we approach this? We, Before we ever talk to a person, we make sure it's a sin, not a preference. We examine our lives and think of God's mercy. We pray to God for the person. Then if we go speak to them, we ask questions. We gently share our concerns and humility, and then we reason from the Scriptures. In other words, we can't stop. There. There's two more things that, may, that probably need to be, may have to be done. Number, number seven, we need to call for repentance. This is so hard in our culture. We kind of want to just lay it out on the table. Hey, let's look at the Scripture together. Okay, I hope you'll do something with this. But we need to, in love, if we really love this brother or sister, say, I want to call you to repent. I want to call you to and plead with them to repent. We see this all throughout the scriptures, to, the call to confess their sins and to seek to change. If they do, for we've won back a brother. If we do, we've seen their sins covered and we get the joy of rejoicing with them over that. But what if they don't? That's number eight. If they refuse to repent, we take another believer with us. And that's outlined in Matthew 18. That's a whole sermon for a whole another day. But there's a whole pattern laid out in Matthew 18. If a brother or sister has sin in their life, and we in love doing these things we just talked about, go to them in humility, and they don't repent, and then we take someone else from the church with us. And there's a whole pattern laid out for us of how we get the whole church involved because our souls are at stake, because wandering from the truth is so dangerous. Friends, we have a responsibility to help each other walk in faith. And the reality, friends, is there's going to be, we're going to kind of be a roller, because there's going to be times that we're helping others, and there's times other people are going to be helping us, right? There's going to be times to where I get to help you walk in faith, but there's going to be times I need you to help me walk in faith as well. This is a kind of a two-way street here, and we're going to be helping each other with this. So you think about bringing all this together. What is the most important thing James concludes with? Now that his letter's done, is that you need each other. His final exhortation, his final words to us, is to show us that all he's shown in walking in faith, this is a community effort, Friends, doesn't it go against the grain of our culture and our personality so often? I can get this on my own. I can do it. I don't need help. He's saying, no, no, I've shown you a lot. I've shown you a high standard of walking in faith. Now, help each other do so. Your, your walking in faith is a community effort. And with that, friends, he concludes this letter. No benediction, no other words, but just go live this out and help each other walk in faith. And friends, that brings us to the end of our study of James. It's fitting as we come to the end for us to reflect on this and celebrate communion together. It's fitting for us as we come to into this to think about what we've just seen, because the reality is in my life and in your life, there is a gap in all of our lives. We all, if we're a follower of Christ, know what God's standard is, and we're all somewhere short of that standard. And so communion is a time for us to pause and to think about where this grace of God comes from. Because we love to talk about the grace of God here. I to talk about God's saving grace and God's transforming grace and all these things. We would love to talk about grace, but communion is so important because it's a time for us to remember that God's grace to us is free, but it came with a cost. That the freedom we have to enjoy walking with Christ, the freedom we have to see God's grace transform us, can only come about if our sins are paid for on the cross. Friends, the reality is, as CJ already prayed so beautifully earlier, we deserve hell, we deserve punishment, and either we pay for our sins for all eternity, or Christ has to cover them for us. I want to remind us before we take communion of something from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, of how Christ can cover our sins, and how this is even possible. It says in 1 Peter 2, that he, Christ, committed no sin. There was deceit found in his mouth. Friends, the reason we can have our sins covered is because Christ never sinned. He fulfilled the law that you and I break day by day by day. So when he went to the cross, he could go to the cross as our substitute, as a perfect substitute. And therefore, he could take all the penalty for the sin that should have been put on us, and he could could take it himself in our place. And all of his perfect righteousness could be given to us. Two verses later in 1 Peter 2, it tells us so beautifully in verse 24, that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So, friends, for us, communion is a time for us to remember the purchase of the salvation we have, the way we can have grace, the way we can have what we sung about earlier, that once as enemies of God, we are now seated at his table. And, friends, it also means that there's much hope for us. As you and I struggle with that gap, the very next verse in 1 Peter 2, 25, we looked at it earlier, but it's so fitting as we think about this. For you were straying, you are plenial, you were wandering like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Friends, communion is a great time to think about that. It's a time for us as believers to think about the grace we have in Christ, to remember that Christ's body was broken on the tree, on the cross. His blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And so we pause to celebrate communion, to think about that grace that we have and to examine our own hearts, to see, am I walking with Christ? Are there ways I'm wandering from the truth? And to use this time before we even take it to ask God to show us areas of unconfessed sins that we might repent. In light of that, it's so important to mention, this is only for followers of Christ. There's nothing magical or saving about us taking the bread and taking the juice. There's symbols to remind us that Christ's body was broken for the forgiveness of our sins, that his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. But this is only for those who believe that, who believe that Christ died for his sins according to the Scripture, that he is buried and rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. If you're here in the gym or at home and you're saying, I'm not sure I believe that, I don't know that my sins are covered because of what Christ did. Then just use this time to pray and ask God to show himself to you. And if you're a brother and sister in Christ, the way James loves to address us to my brothers and sisters here, if you are a follower of Christ, it doesn't matter if you're a member of Gateway or not, you're welcome to celebrate. This. If you know that Christ has covered your sins, that you know you're righteous before God, not because of anything you have done, but because of what Christ has done for you, you're welcome to reflect and to celebrate and to think about this. And I just want to challenge you this morning. Before we even take the elements, would you take a few minutes as we have some instrumentalists and play right now just to give you some music to reflect to. I want you to take a minute where you are and think about the grace of God. And to take a minute and pray and thank God for His grace that has saved you and to thank God for His grace that is transforming you. But I also want you to take a minute where you're seated and ask God, God, are there any sins in my life I'm not dealing with that I'm running from? Are there ways I've wandered from the truth? And to ask God to show you and ask Him to convict you and then to repent and confess those before him there as you think about his grace and think about what christ has done Then whenever you're ready to take the elements, you should find them in the seat in front of you There's extra trays in the back by the sound booth and up here There's elements for special dietary needs there as well in the back of the gym and the table right behind you guys in the gym Whenever you're ready after you have a few minutes to pray and reflect to go and get your elements and to Take those where you're seated and continue the spirit of prayer and then I will close us in prayer in just a few minutes Father, we just want to pause and remember your great love for us. I've already been singing about the glories of the gospel already today. Just Reflecting and thinking of your deep love for us. That you looked upon sinners like us who deserve nothing but hell, nothing but your judgment. Because you are a holy God and a perfect God and a just God. You looked upon us and you showed mercy to us. You sent your only Son, Jesus, to come and live the life we could not live, to die the death that we should have died, to rise from the grave, conquering death. Lord, we thank you that we get to pause and remember that, how our salvation was purchased this morning, to remember that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Lord, would you forgive us for the times we so trivialize our salvation, we so trivialize what it looks like to walk with you. Lord, turn our hearts back to you. So we don't just remember your grace and reflect on your grace when we're singing about it in the service, or when we're taking me, But Lord, we think about your grace every day, because it's only your grace that sustains us. So we just want to say thank you, though the words "thank you" seem so inadequate. We want to say thank you for making us, knowing that we would rebel. Thank you for saving us from our sins, and thank you for now giving us that grace upon grace upon grace that grows us. And Lord, can we ask this morning for more grace? Lord, I need to grow, and I know my brothers and sisters need to grow as well. Would you pour out more grace on us to keep transforming us more and more to the image of Christ? And so We long for the day that we will see you face to face, free of sin, free of the burdens of this world. and get to be with you forever. Help us remember that and live our lives as a people who are aliens and strangers who belong with you and turn our hearts to the things of you. Lord, again, I just want to say thank you for our journey through James. Lord, for the truth that you have spoken to my heart and you've spoken to my brothers and sisters' hearts, for that, God, I do pray as we think about them and we reflect back in the months and the years to come over this particular book of the Bible, God, that we would just see grace all over it, that we would see that line, that phrase, "You give more grace," and would you make us a people who are not only recipients of your grace but who celebrate your grace every day, or so that we find the joy and you get all the glory for doing what only you can do. We thank you for it all in Jesus' name. And would you stand as we sing our final song this morning about God's glorious grace.
2: Triumph and
1: praises without end. All hailing the King of righteousness. Every eye beholds the one, our hearts were run serving of, with a grace so glorious.
2: seated in the heavenly places, God, in heaven with your Father, God, sitting on your throne, crowned in glory, God, worthy of all the praise, God, worthy of your holiness, God. You are the Lamb who was slain. At these elements, God and the remembrance of Your body that was broken, God, on our behalf, and Your blood that was shed on our behalf, God. And as we look at our text, God, just being a light to those that are wonder, God, and being a help and bringing them back to You. God, may we do so in much grace knowing that it was initially you that brought us to you, God. That we were wonderers, God. We were lost in our sin. We were dead in our trespasses, God. But it was you, God, that led us to repentance. It was you, God, that saved us. So that in turn, we can look at truth, God. We can look at your word, God. We can look at the truth found there, God, and see What is your truth, God? Not the truth of the culture, God, the truth of the ages, God, but what is your truth, God, that stands true throughout time, God? You are never changing, God. You don't adapt. God, you are constant. And so we look to you for truth, God, and give us grace and wisdom to see when our brothers are falling, God, when they are wondering, God. God, to help lead them back to you, God, in the same way you have led us to you, God. And God, may we be open, Lord, in the areas where we fall, God, and where we have wonder, God, to be led back to you, God, as we sharpen each other, God, and our growth and sanctification, God, ultimately to the end, to be in your presence, God, in your glory, God, worshiping for all eternity, God. Thank you for your blood that was shed, God. Thank you for your body that was broken. May we never become numb to it and lose sight of it, God. It is the only way to you, God. Your sacrifice, the only way of redemption back to you, God. in your name we pray. Amen. You guys are dismissed.